Hey, good morning, church family. Before I get started, I just want to follow up on Janet and Courtney's announcements for a second. First, as we promised you last week, in preparation for the day, which now seems like it might be in the not-too-distant future, when we can all meet again in this place, we emailed you a survey this week to help us in planning for that day. To all of you who filled it out already, which is a bunch of you, thanks. Your answers matter, and they're helping us. For those of you who got it Thursday morning in your email and said, ah, I'll get back to that later, today, friends, is later. So can I ask you, if you haven't filled it out, would you just take the five or ten minutes it takes? Because your input really is crucial for us as we determine the hows and whens and what ifs of meeting here again. Second thing, just briefly. Many of you know, every summer for 15 years now, our church, as, and led by our nonprofit Beyond the Walls, we take missions trips to serve the poorest of the poor in Guatemala, many of whom are children that live in the Guatemala City garbage dump. Unfortunately, this year, due to the pandemic, we had to cancel those trips. But the reality is that the need now is greater than ever because of the pandemic. Guys, if you've been on one of these trips, you know that there are many bridges in the cities that we need to cross in order to get to Potter's House, where we do our work every day. Those bridges now are full of people holding white flags, begging for food. If you see the pictures and you hear the stories, they really are heartbreaking. Beyond the Walls, in order to keep everyone informed about what's going on and to continue to build the relationships between all of the people who go every summer, I think volunteers come from nearly 12 states. Beyond the Walls, this week, is going to host a Zoom update session and a reunion party with the leaders from Potter's House, our partner in Guatemala, and all of you from all over the United States that have come. That call is going to be later this week, and if you're on the Beyond the Walls email list, you get an email with the information um, it came, I think, on Wednesday. So go check it out and sign up. If you didn't get the email, you can go to mhcc.life, click the Contact Us box, and let us know there that you'd like the information and we'll get it out to you. Okay, now, before we open the doors of the church again, in our current series, we're working on opening the doors of our hearts, maybe for the first time. If you remember, our goal was to emerge from quarantine as a church and as a people stronger than we went into quarantine. And, and so towards that end, we've been lifting the hood on our souls a little bit, kind of poking around on our insides and seeing what kind of changes need to be made at the heart level. You see, this is not a series on behavioral modification. If you've been with us, you know that by now. Jesus taught that the stuff that comes out of us isn't really the problem. The problem is the stuff that's in us that results in the stuff that comes out of us. And that's the stuff that causes so many problems. You name them, financially, emotionally, relationally. Here's how Jesus put it. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. These separate them from God. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. But not just that, because those thoughts wind up in things like murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. That is why we're working on our hearts. This morning, we're going to talk about a big heart issue. It's a common one, and it's really one of the most insidious heart issues. We're all going to need to deal with it together. It's anger. Does anybody know any angry people now, please don't give the side-eye to the one sitting next to you on the couch. Do you know any angry people? Well, of course you do. See, that's the insidious thing about anger. We see it very easily in others, but almost none of us see it in ourselves. 
You see, we easily admit to fear or envy or jealousy. Those things we see in ourselves pretty easily. And so it makes them a little easier to root out. But guys, very few of us would say, you know, I've got an anger issue. He, he has an anger issue. Me, me, I don't have an anger issue. And you see, it's these anger issues that most of us have. They manifest themselves in two different ways. The first is the one you're familiar with. That's the blow kind of anger. I just blow up all the time, right? That's the person who just lets it rip. Somebody ticks them off, cuts them off at the light, takes their parking spot, has 12 items in the 10-item checkout lane. This person just can't keep it to themselves. And they just spew anger all over Route 80 and the Chester ShopRite. There's another kind of anger, though. It's the no-show anger. You see, you don't lose your temper, but you're still pretty scary. You know anybody like that? They don't blow up, but if you live with them, you kind of walk around on eggshells. This, is, this one is probably more common, especially for church people. Because a lot of us know that the Bible says lots of stuff about anger, and, and so we don't blow, we don't show, but it's in there, and it's intimidating everybody around us because you're still a little scary. You see it in our moodiness, in our brooding, in our silence, which oftentimes is deafening and, and controlling. Now, this isn't just an individual issue. As a society, we have now manifest our individual and internal anger issues into something that has been dubbed the outrage culture, where if you have a different a difference of opinion on anyone or about anything, it results in deep offense, and that offense needs to be publicly called out and shamed. This has gotten so crazy. I actually heard this week the story of a guy. There's a true story. You can Google it. A guy went on a date with a woman in Texas, and during the date, during the movie they were at, the woman was on her phone the whole time, just texting away. So the guy, you can imagine, he was pretty ticked off about it. He was so outraged when the date was over, he let her know about his feelings. He had blow anger and not no-show anger. And then he had the audacity to ask her to reimburse him for the price of the movie ticket. Well, she refused. And so, this is not a joke, he literally took her to court to sue her for the price of the ticket back. Then, because she was being sued, she countersued him for harassing her. They literally wound up in court over texting during a date. Now, let me be clear. That is ridiculous. Texting during a movie is not a crime. In fact, I'm going to go a step further because I know what's going on in your house right now. I know some of you are sitting on your couch and you've got your phone in your hand right now. I want you to know this. Texting during a sermon, that's not a crime either. It's a sin, but it's not a crime. See, guys, unchecked anger is so, so dangerous to you to your dates, to your marriage, to your kids, and to us as a church, as a town, as a culture, a society, uh, as a people. That's why the writers of the Scriptures over millennia have so much to say about anger. And most of it's bad, 
But interestingly enough, not all of it. In the Old Testament, there is a book right in the middle of your Bible. If, if you have a Bible at home, you could kind of open it. It would either fall to Psalms or Proverbs. That's the book we're going to look at. It's known as the book of wisdom, and it exists in a sense to, to convey timeless truths, but also to provide practical help for those of us that are trying to follow God in this world. How do we live as God followers in this world? It's believed that Solomon, Solomon was the third king of Israel after David, you know, David took down Goliath, right? Then came Solomon. Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, and Solomon was, this, according to the Scriptures, the wisest man to have lived. As you can imagine, Solomon had a lot to say about anger. Check out Proverbs 14. He who is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who is quick-tempered exalts folly. See, a tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. Anger has lots of issues. Heck, if you're watching this this morning, you're saying, John, enough of the hard stuff. I don't want to examine my heart. All right, well, then I would say, fine. Uh, we'll start with this one. This one's for you. There are few things going on in your heart which harm you more physically than anger. Unresolved anger puts you, and I looked this up. I, I encourage you to check it out. Unresolved anger puts you at greater risk for heart attacks, for a stroke, and it weakens your immune system. Struggling with anxiety? There was a 2012 study that showed anger exacerbates the symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder. Anger is significantly linked to depression. Believe it or not, check the study, anger hurts lung function and it sets you up for respiratory illnesses. And study after study after study shows anger shortens your life expectancy. Or we could just go with what Solomon said, it's rottenness to the bones. Most of us, though, are aware of what anger does to those around us, and so is Solomon. He wrote that a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Anger, especially someone who is quick to anger, who can't control himself, who just flies off the handle, blurts out what he's feeling, how he's been offended, or, or who broods and stews silently. Angry people cause conflict. They destroy marriages. They embitter their children. They create tension in the office. The Facebook moderator needs to turn off comments on the post because of angry people. Some of you have lost forever relationships you valued because of anger. Here, you want some marriage advice? You, you want some dating advice? You want some hiring advice? How about this from Solomon? Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. I'll give you another anger, anger issue. You ever answered a text or an email when angry? Whew. Didn't go well, right? One of the inner workings, inner rules here at church that, that the staff and I go by is if you get a tough email, you don't answer it for at least 24 hours. You know why? Because anger has the ability to cloud our judgment. Anger has us say things that we don't really mean and do things we would probably never otherwise do. 
You're familiar with the dangers of drinking and driving. You know the dangers of drinking and texting. The same thing applies to anger. Solomon nailed it. He who's slow to anger has great understanding. He who's quick-tempered exalts folly. And I'll give you this last anger issue that, that we should all be aware of. Guys, anger is addictive. It doesn't just go away. Back to Solomon, Proverbs 19. He said, a hot-tempered person must pay the penalty. If you rescue them, you'll have to do it again, again, and again. See, this is why, and, and some of you know this, this is why angry people tend to get angrier. Anger is similar to other addictions in that it leads to similar rushes that trigger dopamine receptors in your brain. Anger boosts our fragile egos. It's a way to feel powerful in the moment. And oftentimes, in scary times, it helps us feel that we're in control of things that typically we wouldn't have control over. And we like that feeling. And that's why if we don't stop and look under the hood and root it out, Things tend not to stay the same in regards to our anger issues, but to only get worse. Yet, yet. This is the amazing thing about anger. Anger, in its original state, was not any of these things. Anger, like everything within us and in the world around us, has been corrupted, hijacked, in a sense, by sin. Christians believe that man does not live in the state that God originally created us to live in. Our fall, the fall of man from that state due to sin, has corrupted not just our world, and we see that clearly, but has corrupted our nature. And you can see that so clearly with what it's done to anger. You want to know one of the reasons you're angry? That was the title of the talk I sent you out this week. Why, why am I so angry? You want to know one of the reasons you feel anger? It's because you are made in the image of God. And God, who has feelings, God feels anger. The writers of the Bible in both the Old Testament and the New warn of the dangers of human anger, but also, they also believe it or not, commanded a certain kind of anger. Here's how Solomon spoke of it. He said, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Hmm, anger sounds good there. And he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. Tim Keller points out that the ideal in the Bible is not blow anger where we just blow up, and it's not no show anger where we just repress. In fact, the the biblical ideal is not no anger at all. The biblical ideal is slow anger. Slow anger is the ideal. In fact, he goes on to say that it's a sin to never get angry. Think about it. It's a sin to blow up or brood with anger, but it's a sin to never get angry. The ideal, the pre-fall, pre-corruption kind of anger that we're commanded to have is not human anger, but slow anger. James, one of Jesus' brothers, in his letter understood this. He wrote, my dear brothers and sisters, take note, and we should. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to become angry. I'll take this a step further. Paul commanded anger from the letter he wrote to the church in the city of Ephesus. Be angry. Be angry, he wrote, and yet do not sin. Be angry, but don't sin. There are times when we absolutely, positively should be angry. The key is not to sin in our anger. In fact, he gives a great quote. John Chrysostom, his name is difficult to pronounce, John Chrysostom, he was an early church father from about 400 years after Jesus. Uh, he nailed it. Here's what he said. He who is not angry, whereas he has cause to be, sins. For unreasonable patience is the hotbed of many vices. It fosters negligence, and it incites not only the wicked, but the good to do wrong. Guys, anger, slow anger, is good. Do you want to know why? Because that's what God is, and God is good. God is love. He's slow to anger. Some of you know the story when God first introduced himself to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Maybe you know it from the book of Exodus, or maybe you know it from the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, or maybe you know it from Disney's King of Egypt. But when God introduces himself to Moses and really reintroduces himself to mankind, when he personalizes himself with a name, how does he do that? Well, he tells Moses, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faith, faithfulness. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Slow to anger, abounding in love. Anger and love, inexorably linked. You and I never see it that way because we're used to human anger. We're used to blow anger or no-show anger. See, those have nothing to do with love. That's human anger. This same James said that human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. God's anger, slow anger, is different because slow anger is related to love. Let me explain. I'll put it this way. You want to know what it is that you absolutely love the most? The thing that your heart is set on. You want to know what you value the most? You want to know what you want more than anything else? The thing that you've set your eyes on and placed your affections on? Very easy to figure out. Take some time and reflect on what gets you the most angry. What causes rage within you? That's what you love. See, if you never, ever get angry about anything, then you don't love anything. But what it is that you love when it becomes hurt or endangered or threatened, that's when you get angry. True love always gets angry. Love, pre-fall, in its uncorrupted un origin, love moved to deal with a threat, right, to something. That was anger in its purest form. It was love in motion to quell a threat to things loved. This is why anger can be so dangerous because anger seeks to stop and sometimes destroy whatever the threat to our greatest loves are. You want to know why God is angry? Because God loves. 
Because he loves us so much. Because he sees what sin and injustice are doing to you and to me and to his world and to his children. This is why Jesus, sinless Jesus, often got so angry. Why is Jesus flipping over tables in the temple? Because he loved the people so much, he was ticked off that the religious authorities were setting up hurdles to keep people from God. Our issue, it turns out, is not anger. There are a lot of things that we should be angry at, lots of things that we should rise up to stand against, lots of things we should be holding back or putting an end to. See, that's what slow anger does. Unfortunately, because of a heart issue we have, we usually don't. Here's our heart issue that, according to James, created human anger that doesn't lead to righteousness. He asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Why are you angry? Is it because of the societal injustice that you see around you? Is it the marginalized being taken advantage of? Is it the oppressed being held down? Is it the concentration of wealth and plenty to so few and the lack of basic necessities to so many? Is that why that we are all angry? Well, the truth is, I'll just speak for me, that's not it. See, that would be a righteous anger. That would be a slow anger. James says, doesn't it come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. Anger, in its purest form, exists to protect what we value and cherish the most. But the sin problem that you and I have, post-fall of man, is the thing that we love the most is ourselves and our stuff and our reputations and our pride and our self-esteem and our positions and our authority. You want to know why I get angry? Why do we all have anger issues? I think what the Scriptures would teach is that we have love issues. We, we love the wrong things. And so, let me ask you this question. Why are you angry? Ponder that. I mean, really, reflect on it. I'm going to do that this week because I think as I do, and I think as we do, we're going to discover that our hearts, that our loves, aren't aligned with God's. That's why we blow anger or repress no-show anger, but we struggle, we really struggle with slow anger. This week, we've seen again something that is worthy of anger, where anger is justified, good, holy, and godly. Something that needs to be met by the church of Jesus with righteous indignation. The tape was pretty hard to watch. Honestly, I could only watch it for a minute or two. I couldn't bring myself to watch it for the nine minutes that the Minneapolis police officer had his knee on George Floyd's neck. And I certainly couldn't watch it for the two minutes and 43 seconds. He kept it there after Mr. Floyd stopped responding. And this comes on the heels of what happened to uh, Ahmad Arbery, a young African-American man who was literally hunted down because he had the audacity 
to be black and go out for a jog in the wrong neighborhood. Church, if you want to see something we should be angry about, there are lots of things, believe me. But this is something that we should be angry about. This is something that clearly the laws don't seem to be changing because laws don't change hearts. The Holy Spirit does that. This is why Jesus said, it's what's in you, it's what's in your hearts that's the problem because it has a way of coming out. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia something that was absolutely revolutionary in the first century. Really, it was crazy. Because then, unfortunately, just like now, it was a world filled with racial, gender, and ethnic divisions. But then, unlike today, those divisions weren't kind of hidden and simmering underneath. They were flaunted. So to say what he's about to say here was both revolutionary and dangerous. Yet, here's what he wrote. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus died on the cross to satisfy the just penalty due everyone's sins. Not the rich, not the poor, not the good, not the bad, not the whites, and not the blacks. All men's sins. Therefore, the movement of Jesus should be the most vigorous agent there is for racial, ethnic, religious, and gender justice and equality. But unfortunately, for way too long, Jesus' church has had its loves mixed up and our anger misplaced. It was a moment, not unlike the moment we witnessed this week with Mr. Floyd, that had God's people turned the world on its ear once before, where a person called by God for a second woke up to his privilege and saw firsthand systemic injustice and violence, that man's name was Moses. The same Moses God would later meet personally. Moses, as many of you know, he was a prince in Egypt. He was privileged by right of his birth. And yet, one day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. Some of you know the story. Moses was actually uh, Hebrew, but he had been adopted and now was living as an Egyptian. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. You see, guys, Moses saw what we just saw, and something happened. See, he had probably seen things like this before. The Hebrews have been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years, just like we've seen things like this before. But there was something about this time. There was something about this beating that so sickened him that, it, that something in him broke, and Moses got angry. He snapped. He, he couldn't take it anymore. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, Moses takes on the Egyptian. He fights to help the Hebrew that he was beating. And Moses actually winds up killing him and, and buries him in the sand. And then the very next day, 
Moses goes out, and, and now he sees two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? He saw in his own people what he had just seen the night before, the beating, the vicious nature of it. Things had gotten so bad for the Jews in Egypt, they had been so beaten down, so persecuted, so enslaved, that now they were turning on each other. And Moses, he can't take it anymore. Fast forward in the story, many of you know, God meets him at a burning bush, and here's what he says to Moses. Moses, I haven't indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. And Moses has got to be thinking, that's great, God. I'm ticked off too. I can't take it anymore. I've seen one too many injustices, one too many beatings, one too many profilings. I'm so glad that you're going to do something, God. God, how in your slow and righteous anger are you intending to right this wrong? Lightning? Thunder? God? And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I'm sending you. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses, you're going to right the wrong. I'm choosing you because you are angry about the same thing that I'm angry about. I am choosing you because the thing that you love is the thing that I love. And now with me, you take this anger, you take this love, and together we right the wrong. Together we change the world. This is slow anger. This is righteous anger. Guys, this is the love of God. And this kind of thing, this kind of change, this kind of revolution is what happens when the people of God get their hearts set on the same thing as God, when their anger becomes in tune with God's anger. This is where God meets us. This is where, where God still wants to meet us in our righteous indignation, in our slow anger. This is how God changes the world. Now look, over the last couple of nights, we have seen human anger play itself out on the streets. Human anger, as James said, human anger doesn't result in righteousness. Remember what Paul said? He said, get angry, but don't sin in your anger. Let's jump back to the wisdom of Solomon. He put it this way, do not say, I'll do to them as they have done to me. I'll pay them back for what they did. See, you can understand that in a sense. I mean, that's, that's our nature. I'm going to pay them back for what they did. I'm, I'm so angry, I'm going to repay evil for evil, I, injustice for injustice, an eye for an eye. But as you saw on the streets over the last couple of nights, Gandhi got it right when he said an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. In our anger, repaying someone for what they did never works. Instead, here's what the ancient wisdom teaches. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And in doing this, 
You'll heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. It's a strange verse. You'll heap burning coals on his head. In other words, by doing this, it will often have the effect of burning coals. It will melt the person's heart. It will often cause him to reflect on how and why you would return love for hate, why you wouldn't bring vengeance back. It will often bring them to a place of repentance or change. This works. You want to know how I know? Because that's what Jesus did for you. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath, God's anger through Jesus? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how did God satisfy his anger? How did God satisfy his wrath? He didn't pay us back for what we did. We didn't get our due. Instead, while he was still angry, while we were still his enemy, he took it upon himself. I'm going to close with this. How do we fix our anger issues? Here's your Q-tips for the week. First, you identify it. You, like me, are likely angry about something. And whatever that little bitter root is, unless we get it out, you're just going to get angrier. It's addictive. But how do you find it? How do you identify it? Well, here's what I would encourage you to do. Start figuring out what it is that makes you angry because that is what you love. Once you do then, you need to let that go. You need to reprioritize it. The second Q-tip is this. You need to reorder your loves. See, the reason you and I have anger issues is that we have love issues. And so I would set some time aside with the Holy Spirit this week and ask Him to help you. He will reorder, reprioritize your loves. In what order? Well, how about this? How about loving the Lord your God first with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And then move on to your neighbors. That's the greatest commandment. You will be amazed when you get your eyes off of yourself. You will be shocked at how anger subsides. And finally, there's this. As your loves get reprioritized, discover what it is that you can't take anymore either. What irks you? What can't you stand to see anymore? God has likely placed that on your heart. God has likely created you and called you to join him in anger over that thing. Now, when you discover that, don't sin in your anger. Don't get even. But instead, you raise your voice you lift up the cause, you protest, you march, you shout it from the rooftops if you have to. But while you do, while you do, you serve and you love those who you disagree with. Look, Dr. King lived it. Dr. King nailed it when he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. Let's get our anger right this week, Mendham.
Don't forget your surveys. We're waiting to hear from you. And I'm going to see you back here next Sunday morning.